Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast, where everything changes when the Fire Nation attacks. I, as always, am TJ Patrick, and with me, as always, is... I am Judy. No. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. I went to Lake Laogai in July, and this is what I came back as. (laughs) There is no coronavirus in USA. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, has anybody made that yet? (laughs) I'm really surprised at the resurgence of this show and and that I that that I don't that that nobody's made that. In fact, you know, I'm we're gonna... sure. I'm sure somebody's done that. <laughs> they had to have. <laughs> Cause I even didn't I even didn't really even fully uh realize that it worked so well because I was like, oh USA sounds like bossing say. <laughs> Oh no no! Uh, there there are literally COVID masks with Judy on them uh, that said there is no COVID in Bossing Sack. Oh God! <laughs> so yes, we are not original. No 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 no! I'm like somebody somebody had to have done that. <laughs> so yes, as you can probably tell, we are going to be talking about something very special today, and that is my favorite. Show, franchise, property, anything, just thing in general. The thing that I always heap praise onto, that I shout from the mountaintops as being something everyone in their life should experience. Avatar The Last Airbender. It's here. It's finally here. And when we started this show, I had no idea that my fellow compatriot had not watched this show from beginning to end. So once I found out that, like, Trevor hadn't seen it, I was like, no, this has to happen. <laughs> like, it can't even and be on our Rejector Anew, like, roster just because it's, like, it's that important. Nope. Um, Plus, it had a resurgence. Yeah. Just to put in perspective how much TJ loves this show is that, like, if it's a choice between my life and... Uh, all copies okay. and all reference of Avatar <laughs> being destroyed, um, he's choosing no. Avatar. I would want no, him to. No, no, If it was like a shoot the you got you got to shoot the evil twin, and it was between me and Avatar, I would look at him and be like, he would know I was the real twin because I'd see, I'd be like, you could choose Avatar. It's all right. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll be I'll be quite honest. I uh, ever since I finished it, which was like Wednesday. And we're recording this on a Saturday. Um, I have tried to watch other things, and I've been so dissatisfied. <laughs> I tried to watch, I tried to watch like Project Power on Netflix with Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I was just like, "This is bad. This is bad." Just because it's like I, I could have been watching Avatar. <laughs> Avatar's ruined other shows for you, <laughs> but. I mean, a little I bit. I mean, yeah, that's what happens just because, and I just, yeah, it's like, I genuinely think that everyone should watch it because I think it's one of the better constructed shows. That's honestly the reason why Oh yeah, I'm like, everyone should watch this at least once, just so you can know what it's like to have a show that's structured in such a way and 
has so many different payoffs and honestly rewards the mm-hmm. uh, audience for like paying attention and watching and caring about these characters and it has such a satisfying like end like this is the end like there's no right. real like illusions or like cliffhangers or just like you know like they weren't unsure if they were going to another season like no this was it <laughs> and so i feel like everyone should experience that but speaking of experience well okay let me let me uh first uh give the quick roadmap to the rest of the episode so uh, in just a bit, we're going to follow Trev's uh, trajectory through the series. We're going to talk about each book uh, in order, and he's just going to give, you know, his honest thoughts. This is a safe space. You know, even after all my rantings about Avatar, I will never force somebody to like anything or to think the exact same way that I do. So this is a completely open space for Trev to give his un filtered thoughts about the show and if he needs clarification i'm here for that otherwise you know it's his place to say whatever he wants uh and you can i think that they should have given haru a mohawk (laughs) uh or at least some bitch and sideburns um Make that beard connect, bro. Uh, <laughs> but um, so Trev is going to take us through his journey through the show one book at a time. He's going to give us his review of each book and then basically the show overall. And then we're just, just going to end with some big questions, a new segment where in the future, if either of us should again finish a show that the other one loves, we're going to do this again where we ask the big questions really obvious things like you know favorite character least favorite character favorite episode like stuff like that uh and then we're gonna dive just a bit deeper into you know show specific questions we're gonna get into the questions that uh or at least we're gonna get into the topics that the fandom itself is just they've been talking about ever since the show uh first aired so we're going to get into that. But first, we're going to have a little bit of a game show today. Oh, yes. We're going to have some fun. I'm going to grill Trevor like a flapjack in a two-star diner. I am going to <laughs> eviscerate my best friend. I am going to, well, okay, let me not put it that way. We're Basically, we have some questions in different tiers of difficulty. We have easy questions, medium difficulty questions, where just, you know, easy is basically like, were you awake? You know, were you like actually looking at the show and listening to it while it was on? Medium questions are going to be... Uh, were you paying attention? Did you retain some of the knowledge or just some of the lore in the show? And the third difficulty, the hard questions are going to be like, okay, this is, I'll be, I'll be actually kind of pleasantly surprised if you get these, but they're not impossible to know. We also have insane difficulty questions that there's no way you could know unless you like went out of your way. <laughs> So, 
Uh, Trev has elected to uh, pick and choose which uh, which category he wants to do. So now, Trevor Lee Beverly, I will let you choose. Which tier would you like a question from first? Uh, I'll take uh, Avatar uh, for hard, Alex. Okay, so we're just going to dive into the deep end. All right. Cool. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to start you off with a very common question. It's a very common question. Some avid uh, watchers of the show know this by heart. Some people just need a little quick refresher, but it's an often asked question. What are the ages of all five members of Team Avatar? Uh, Aang and Toph are 12, uh, Katara is 14, Sokka is 15, um, uh, Zuko is 16, and Suki I might actually have to think about for a second. Well, I think no, Suki's 14 as well. I mean, you named all five. You you literally named five. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Su- Suki kind of like came in so late that I... Mm, she is a part of Team Avatar, but she's not like a core member, you know? Now there is Zuko. <laughs> well, but Zuko has been such a constant part of the show, and he did join, like, halfway through book three, so it's like, meh. All right, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, yes, I did look this up. I looked this up because I was just like, because, cause, I mean, I'm sure it's something that a lot of people feel in the very beginning of the show, where it's just like, uh, oh, he's he's really young, and he, he wants to romance her? She's very much older than him. And then you look at it and it's like, oh, would a 12 and a 14 year old actually potentially have that ability to like be in that kind of like emotional threshold with one another? And I'm like, yeah, okay, they would. So I did, I did look up the character ages. Yeah. Plus you don't all, you also don't really know when each of their birthdays are. So there may even be a time where Aang is 13 and Katara's 14. Like it's really not even, Mm -hmm. not even that much of a difference potentially. Uh, but yes, you got that one right. So, congratulations Ooh. to you. Uh, which category would you like next? Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go easy. Let's 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 mix it up. All right, should be a real quick answer. What side of his face is Zuko's scar on? Uh, his left side. That is correct. It is on the left side of his. As face. opposed to what the kid said in the Ember Island players. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. You know that's actually a goof on the fact that uh, apparently in some early scenes uh, his scar does flip. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I think that was the animators uh, kind of like poking fun. That whole episode was mm-hmm. just the animators just uh, and the writers just poking fun at themselves the entire of oh, the yeah. entire series. All righty. Next category. Uh, I'm going to apologize up front here, everybody. Uh, it is it is summer in Washington Heights. You are going to hear uh, cars and sirens and, and people um, <laughs> outside my window. You just are. There's nothing I can do about it. I can go anywhere in this house and it's going to happen. Um, let's go. Let, just for the sake of uh, narrative, narrative uh, payoff, let's go with medium. All right. What do Aang's tattoos mean? Ooh. Oh, I don't actually even know if I, I know how to word this. I mean, I know, I know it's, it's, it's a sign that he is aged like to a certain point in the, like the air nomad society and as an airbender, like, like that's as best as I could put it. Cause I remember kids not having them. So it's, would you um, say it's, it's like, not like, like an avatar specific thing? Would you say it's like a bar mitzvah type thing? Yeah. 
That is actually incorrect. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> the tattoos actually mean that Aang is a master airbender. Oh. Yeah. I did not pick that up. Um, Actually, I'm unclear if they ever directly say this in the show, but so many people know this fact that it is kind of like, oh, okay, well, so many people know it. And they do hint at it because in the opening, Katara says he has mastered airbending. I just always thought that that was like a, you know, this is a kid's show, so we're just going to say it kind of thing. <laughs> All right, next category. Let's let's uh let's do another medium. All righty. Uh Okay, so this is a multi-part question. And there are bonus points, although I'm not really keeping score of the points, so, you know, it's fine. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for basically shits and giggles, if you want to. Uh, who says the first line of the show? Uh, like, like in the intro? And we are, yeah, we are not counting the intro. We're talking about after the title screen, when the show starts. Uh, I'm going to say Sokka. And do you know what the line was? Oh, fuck no. Okay. Uh, do you know who says the last line in the show? <laughs> is it Katara? It is Toph, actually. What does Toph say? So, the first line is said by Sokka, and he's referring to a fish while they're hunting, and he says... I knew it's it was not about get- a fish, I just didn't know what the words are. It's not getting away from me this time, is what he says. Okay. Toph, while they're all talking about Sokka's painting, is like, well, I think you all look perfect. Oh, that's right. I forgot that that was the final scene and not the scene on the balcony with uh, Katara yeah. and And, and there's, no, there's no words in that scene, so it's like, you know, right. if there were, Katara would have been a good guess. Yeah. Next category. Uh, let's do Easy. Easy. What classic 80s movie is the episode The Headband clearly an homage to? Which episode? This is The Headband. This is the episode where Aang goes to Fire Nation school. Uh, or, uh, sorry, uh, it's Footloose. Footloose is correct. I would have never said that. Like, would if you had asked if, there was, if it was based on a movie, I wouldn't have said that. It's only the dancing <laughs> part that literally, like, because to me, I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, hey, this is what school looks like in fascism, not fucking <laughs> Footloose. Because well, that's I mean, the yeah. real <laughs> message here. That's also true. All right. Next category, sir. Uh, let's do a hard. Another hard one. Okay. Name the original moon and ocean spirits. Uh, the koi fish. Name them. Oh, no, fuck. I don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know it. Uh, their their names, respectively, for the moon and ocean spirits are Twee and La. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't have have done that. So just for that logic, let's reach for the stars. Let's go for our first insane question. Okay. First insane question. This is only insane because it has only, it's like only tangentially related to Avatar. Okay. 
Many Zutara fans wish Zuko and Katara had ended up together, and they're fucking weird. However, while they didn't get their wish in this series, there's another series that sees the same two voice actors in a romantic arc. What series is it? It is a a related series, correct? It is not related to Avatar. It's literally just the same two voice actors are in another show together. Is it American Dragon Jake Long? It is American Dragon Jake Long! (laughs) (laughs) I just went with for the most obvious uh, Zuko's voice actor uh, animated show. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally only in the insane category because it's like, this technically has something to do with Avatar. (laughs) Uh, But I'm glad you got that one right. Kudos. Ooh. All right. Cool. All let's right. do. Uh, let's let's take a break and do some easy. Okay. Uh, how many total episodes of the show are there? Uh, sixty. Uh, sixty-one. That is correct. There are sixty-one episodes. That's a thing of like cool. you either notice how many episodes they tend to have, or or you just or you just don't. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. It's a little unfair because we do this as a podcast and we knew we were going to do this when I started watching it. So I like I planned out how I was going to watch it. So like I knew there were 61 episodes. All right. Fair enough. Next category. Uh, let's uh, let's do the next two. Let's finish out easy. Okay. Doke. Well, OK, this is a gimme. This is a gi- this is a gimme question. So let's just get it out of the way. Who is responsible for the atrocity that is the live action adaptation? Uh, uh, Ang Lee. No. Well, he's the director. No. Oh, no, M. Night Shyamalan. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, Why like... I, think Ang Lee? I was thinking the Hulk Ang Lee. Um, you know, I would have taken that over M. Night, though. <laughs> I would have taken it. <laughs> uh, and the last question of the easy category, who is the only character... With a last name. Toph. That is correct. Toph Beifong. All right. So the easy category. Down. Out. Complete. Done. Where are we head next? I haven't done it, gotten a single medium right. So let's do, let's finish out medium. I'll, next three. All right. What is the name of the face stealer spirit? Oh, shit. I know this. Oh, God. If I search my brain, I know this. But because you ask it, I don't. Um, the, these next three are all name questions. Fuck. Oh, damn it. I, I don't know it. I don't know it. Their name is Ko, the face stealer. It's, oh God, it's so, it's one syllable. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our second name question in a row. What is Katara and Sokka's mother's name? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> to me, these are harder than the hard ones. <laughs> we have, trust me, we have not finished the hard. You've only had two hard questions. I don't know it. It is Kaya. Okay. I figured it was, it was, I figured it was a, a, a K as well, just because yeah. that's, that's how cartoons go. They tend to follow that. I think it's more than that. I think uh, they're kind of establishing, like, culturally, like, certain. Nations, kind of, yeah. All right, and the last question of the medium intensity, what is Zuko's mother's name? 
Again, I don't know it. Oh, he says it so proudly in Zuko alone. He is the son of Fire Lord Ozai and Ursa. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have gotten it. Uh, well, I feel like I feel like a lot of these names of these like minor characters that you see maybe like minor once or twice. characters. Okay, sir. all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> they're not. They're not like they don't participate in the battles. They don't. It's not like you see them once and then they come back and you're like, oh, hey, it's it's, uh, you know, guys from the Northern Air Temple. Like, you know, it's yeah, it could be worse. I could so, like I feel like this is I feel like this is second watch territory. It, no, I could have been a lot meaner. I could have asked you who was the little girl from the fortune teller episodes name. Ah, yeah, like yeah, I, I like I could have gone too. real obscure. <laughs> All right. So this is actually it. A multiple choice question for you. Okay. There are very few celebrity uh, voiced characters in the show. If you don't count uh, uh, prolific uh, voice actors. Uh, But there is one that you can point to very easily as being one of the few or maybe technically the only celebrity guest acting role. And that is the character of Ming who is a Fire Nation prison guard, the one prison guard that's nice to Iroh, and who he advises to leave in the Day of Black Sun Part 1, because that's the day he's going to break out. Who voices Ming? Is it A, Serena Williams, 2, sorry, these are numbered in my thing, B, Michelle Obama, C, Queen Latifah, or D, Raven Simone. So wait, the character the character is Ming. She is a oh yes 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 yes. Um, and the options again were A, Serena Williams, B, Michelle Obama, C, Queen Latifah, or D, Raven Simone. I'm gonna say D, Raven Simone. That is incorrect. Damn it! It is. A Serena Williams. Really? Okay, yeah, I discounted the first two. Yeah, it's a very it's a very random <laughs> Just like and if you go back and watch that episode, you do kind of realize I'm like, "Oh yeah, you really do sound different." <laughs> yeah. All right. Continuing on the hard category as you wanted to finish it out. What is the only episode to not have the title of the episode appear on a white background. Ooh. Uh, I want to say it's in book one, and I want to say it's during the lunar eclipse. But as as we know, that was a two-parter. I don't know the title of it. That's fine. But is like is that your Did answer? Did I get it right? Hey! No, 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 no. I, I never said that. I never said you were right. Oh. Oh, damn it. Reel back in that confidence. <laughs> um, well, whether it was part one or part two, you are wrong. It is actually episode three, The Southern Air Temple, is the only time they... What? ...have the title card, weirdly, not on a white background. It's very odd. <laughs> And it's definitely something that every time I go back on the show or see somebody react to it, it is sort of like, 
That is kind of weird that they did that that one time. <laughs> it's not even a thematic thing. It's just like a... Yeah, they just decided to not do it on a white background this time. <laughs> All right. And finally... <clears throat> Seeing as how uh, you've had already had a lot of trouble naming these episodes, this is going to be particularly difficult for you. What is the title of the second episode in each book? Oh, wow. See, I wasn't even nice and gave you the first episode. <laughs> well, the first episode is a is second episode is technically a two-parter uh and none of the books are they like the first and seven episodes they may show them the first two episodes in a like a one-hour thing but they are not considered in the show to be two-parters they are two separate episodes uh i don't know the titles of these um i want to say that episode two of book two is something about the lovers i will accept that okay is it right is that all you're guessing? Uh, no. Um, episode two of book three. They're on the boat. I'm on a boat. Like, I know what happens in them, but I can't, for the life of me, like, get specific about it. Alrighty. Well, you were at least right about book two. It is the Cave of Two Lovers. Okay. Okay. The second episode of book one is The Avatar Returns. Okay. And the second episode of book three is The Headband. <laughs> oh. L- literally, we I guess said so it. much just happens in the first episode. <laughs> well, I started strong, and then I just dookied. I, I mean... <laughs> To all our audience members, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they'll agree that I was pretty fair in a lot of these questions. I don't think, like, the insane category is the insane category, but, like, for the most part, these aren't, like, unheard of questions to ask. I think I was fair. Yeah, all right, whatever. (laughs) All right. These are questions that you have literally no way of knowing. What Disney Channel alum originally voiced Ang. Is this somebody who uh You're never gonna guess like this. was a was, was this somebody who like we would have seen in a live action Disney show? Yes. Okay. Um There's no way you're getting this right. <laughs> <laughs> Haley Joel Osment. Or not Haley or uh Emily Osment. You know what's funny? The actual correct answer, they're in the same show. Is it Miley Cyrus? No. I respect you for knowing voice know. acting enough to go for the women, though. Yeah. Is it, was it uh, that Moises whatever his face? No, I think he would have been way too young. Cause, um. Okay. But then again, didn't hit. Ha- yeah. No, never mind. I take that back. <laughs> Cause I had to remember when Hannah Montana was a thing. And I was like, you know what? Those timelines do kind of. <laughs> All right. Who is it? It is Mitchell Musso. Oh, that's weird. I know. It's very weird. I don't like that. <laughs> uh, he voiced Aang in the unaired pilot, which I have seen way too many times. <laughs> okay. Uh, in fact, that's not the only question to come from the unaired pilot. Next, why did Aang name Momo Momo? 
I, I don't know this, but I feel like it was like vaguely referred to. I don't, they never explain it, but like, okay, it's a thing of like, um, certain people when they, because they watch certain other things kind of get it because of the context. So what happens is that Momo steals a peach or what looks like a peach from Sokka and Aang goes, I'll name him Momo because in Japanese, Momo means peaches. Oh, that's clever. That is clever. So basically, if you know Japanese, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but even me, I don't know any Japanese, but uh, because I watched Sergeant Frog, there's a character named Momoka, and a couple of times they play with Momo. They play with Peach. Like, I see. And they they have that be a thing. So when I... Uh, saw that when I was older, I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Penultimate question. What monster seen twice in the show also makes a brief cameo in the unaired pilot? So I think the better way to combat this question it's is... Not a, not an animal. It's a monster. Yeah, like, I would think less like Momo. Like, not, yeah. Right. And what monster or creature makes two appearances? Because when you think about it, a lot of them are kind of one-offs. I want to say it's the forest spirit. I don't know his name. He turns into a panda when he's not enraged. Hey, bye. Hey, bye. Is that your answer? Is it hey, bye? Yeah. It is actually the serpent from the serpent's pass. Oh, okay. All right. And it's... Really neat. If you I guess, see... I guess, hey by, hey by, hey by makes like four appearances. True. So, but uh, it's actually really funny because when you, if you watch the, it's actually funny either way. If you watch the unaired pilot first and then you get to the serpent's pass, it's like, oh my god, they kept that design. <laughs> yeah. Um. But if you watch the show first and then watch this, it's actually very unceremonious of a cameo because. Zuko kills it and takes his head as a trophy. <laughs> oh, interesting. Zuko's much more of like a threat in the unaired pilot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, and last question of the har- uh, of the insane category. This is just such a fun thing that I realized for myself that I just I needed an excuse to talk about it. So. Which member of Team Avatar has been in the same movie or show as Batman, Johnny Bravo, Hermione Granger, The Flash, and both captains of the MCU? And by both captains, you mean Captain Marvel and Captain America? Correct. And interestingly enough, uh, they were in the same movie or show as the two captains in the same movie. So... The two captains were in the same movie. See, it's the it's the women characters that are throwing me. Because how can someone I... both be Hermione and Batman? No, they weren't. Ba- they were in the same movie or show as Batman or Hermione. Oh, that yeah. makes a completely difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say the guy who plays Sokka. Hmm. Well, that is incorrect. All right. Yeah. Fuck it. Whatever. <laughs> the correct answer is. Katara, whose voice actor is Mae Whitman, 
who plays Batgirl, Little Susie from Johnny Bravo, was in Perks of Being a Wallflower with Emma Watson and Ezra Miller, and was the only female evil ex in Scott Pilgrim uh, vs. the World. Okay, so that, to me, I thought these were all animated. I would like this question revoked. <laughs> because if I had known it was Scott Pilgrim I never, and Perks I, of Being a Wallflower, I, I would have gotten said. it. <laughs> because I, I know the face this of this person. <laughs> I know the face of this person. That's interesting because, like, I never really recall the face of Mae Whitman for some reason. Well, she's also in Good Girls on NBC. Well, I never like... watched that. <laughs> I never watched. I've never heard. Like, I almost, I think I never heard of that show until I looked up Mae Whitman, so. I mean, like, but that's the thing. My point is that she has, like, a, a like, she yeah. has a legitimate, like, face career. A lot of voice actors do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kicked my ass. Congratulations. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely destroyed me. I had very few victories. Yay! <laughs> but now that I've thoroughly beaten my best friend, we have to... Uh, Jesus. <laughs> Just the sentence. Um, Please, sir, may I have some more? Oh, uh, God. Uh, yep. Now, now that, that was I've, kinky. Okay. Now that I've thoroughly beaten my best friend uh, into a nerd pulp, uh, we're going to yes, track Daddy. his uh, journey through Avatar, starting with, of course, the beginning. Where else do you start? Uh, the end, because you're J.J. Abrams. So, um, I, Well, actually, no. To be fair, uh, there is a place to start other than the beginning, which is the, tech, the prologue, I guess. Which is, what was your uh, history with Avatar before this? Uh, I had actually started and been very excited to watch it back in 2005 when it came out. You know, I would, I was, you know, in middle school at that point and, um, it, it like, it, it really kind of definitely fit a niche with me and my friends at that time. And I really had to like, I did actually think about this cause I knew we would talk about it. Um, I like the reason I didn't watch it is because it was a Friday night show. Um, and so everything I caught was in reruns at, at off times. And so I was never able to catch it in its entirety. Like I knew pretty much this, the chain of events all the way up until, uh, the end of book two and book three was completely new for me. Um, and the reason was because like a lot of times my family would be with like other friend families where everybody had somebody to like play with at that time. Um, on Friday nights, or it would be, we were still involved, so heavily involved in, in, uh, local, uh, baseball. And this was a spring, it was a springtime show, um, when it first came out. And so I never had a chance to like glomp onto it because it was always airing at a time that I was not watching TV. Um, and so it just kind of swept me, it just kind of just swept me by. Um, and I never got a chance to really watch it. Okay. Understandable. Because by the time it finished, because by the time, because this came out when we were in like, what, seventh grade? And by the time it finished, I like, I was moving to another state and everything. So it was like, I was in like a total different crux of my life. Um, so yeah, that's really my history with it. I always liked the concept. Um, you know, I've never, I've never looked, you know, looked down on it in any way or anything like that. Like as like a teenager, snobby wise, but like, because it's just... Something I can definitely say after watching it is that this is one of the most creative TV shows on the, uh, like around. 
the sheer like ways that the story is told, the creatures that we see, the ways in which they you inventively use the bending um, is all super so incredibly creative um, that. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing about it that I think anybody can really look at it and and kind of, you know, stick their nose up at. And I agree on like pretty much, yeah, pretty much all of that, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So walk us through your experience with book one. Well, I had seen a good portion of these episodes when I was a kid. Um, and so a lot of it was like recalling certain things and uh, other things were like, oh, I don't even think I would have caught on to that or that when I was a kid. Um, but uh, it's similar to a conversation you and I had off air where it's like, yeah, the first season it's, it's a Nickelodeon kids show. Um, and it's not a comedy like SpongeBob that you can watch as a, you know, a, a college student and have a raucous time with. Um, there are episodes that, you know, it's the only time in the entire series where I can justifiably say that something's a filler episode. Um, because every because everyone's so new and they're dealing with some very like simple character dynamics, like uh, in the great divide, the whole thing between Sokka and Tara taking sides with the two tribes. It's like, okay, all right. This is a very simplistic view of what these characters probably will end up being. Um, and it's a very easy lesson for them to kind of learn. Um, and so you get a lot of that. Um, I think you and I had talked early on in the series where I got about f- seven episodes in and I was like, I just really want it to pick up at this point. And then it did. Um, and I knew the whole like dynamics of how book one ended and with, uh, you know, Aang going into the avatar state and, uh, the moon spirit and everything like that. I didn't know some of the specific details. I knew that by this point, Zuko was basically completely worthless to his, to the fire nation. Um, and so book one was really just kind of, a I know what's in front of me is so great that I'm just going to kind of power through it and enjoy myself along the way, which I did. Um, you know, I did laugh at, at many different parts that I hadn't remembered or seen before. Um, but it was definitely a means to an end. Right. And it's really funny that you, uh, (laughs) you specifically, uh, singled out the great divide, what everyone agrees to be probably the worst episode. (laughs) 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 all right like i feel like we all come out the other side of watching avatar and goes we're like yeah that show was really awesome but you know what was up with that great divide episode (laughs) 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 so yeah the stuff with book one very understandable you know we've all we've all been there when we're getting into a new show or a show that you know we're familiar with but like taking seriously for once and the first season is always kind of like mm, they're figuring it out okay uh but you have right. faith that it's going to get better later on so book 2 what was that like oh book 2 is it might be my favorite quite frankly um because it definitely like when you first start off book two, especially like when you go through uh, the cave of uh, two lovers and everything like that, you're definitely thinking like, oh, we're going to kind of get the same thing where maybe we're not going to get the real, you know, the crux of, of uh, you know, his mission until the end of the season. And so maybe this is going to be more than, you know, more than three books. Maybe there's two books in Earth or something like that. Um, but very quickly, once they get to Amashu and Azula has taken it. Um, you start to go, oh, this is going to be different. Um, and then finally, once you get to Toph, like the series just takes off, um, like completely like 
sprinting um, its way through like turmoil and and some more adult themes. Um, you know, the whole entire sequence in the library um, is is just fantastic. And then everything beyond that, the fact that you have so many characters and you get to see them in their own in- individual stories. I know a lot of people very much praise the Tales of Ba Sing Se um, as one of the best episodes um, for character development in any show. Um, and yes, I did cry for, uh, for Iroh's, uh, the tale. Um, and so you start to see like the whole entire episode that fills in the cracks for what happened to Appa. Um, and it's, I think it's just so well done because in any other show, they would have tried to show every single character, every single episode. And it's probably because actors have, you know, freaking you know, actors have contract contracts to where their faces seen in an episode. And so it's, it's just different in the fact that they got to really take us on one journey and then fill in the cracks here. And the fact that like, you only get this tiny nugget of Appa running into the Kyoshi Warriors, and then Azula and the ga- and her gang show up as the Kyoshi Warriors. It's like, oh, that's freaking great! Like that was something that like it could have just been a one off of. Oh, we wanted to include them in this. Like, no, it mattered. Um, and I personally just think that all of the mystery and the and the adult like the very adult themes of uh, Bossing Say. Um, we're just in an incredibly smart route to go. It could have very easily been that, you know, the Earth King believed them and then they went in a completely different direction. But no, they have this entire, you know, third of the season wrapped around this one individual world that they get to build so broadly um, and having Jet back and, and giving us a moment to to kind of fulfill the arc with him. Um, and Azula is just a fucking terrifying person. Um and just the, the minutia of how she manipulates even the people she considers her friends um, into doing her bidding, um, like with Ty Lee um, and, and her introduction. I just think there's so much, so much praise for book two um, that really gets us to what is then kind of the final march, which is book three. Right. So, and I agree with all of that. Like book two really kind of, puts the uh, pedal to the metal in a way that the show needed and it offers so much that's unique to the show, but also like it's weird how it can just so easily do so many things that so many other shows do and have done, but it just does it well. And it's like, it's like that thing. It's like what I always say when people you know, certain YouTube channels that exist will um, very much condemn the use of cliches or tropes. Uh, But I've always stood up for that and said, like, no, you can do a cliche. You can do a trope as long as you do it well. If you do it well, then it doesn't matter. You know, like, there are... I don't think Avatar does that much in terms of like plot in terms of character development in terms of like the actual bones of the show that's completely original there's a lot of stuff that's you know you could sell that you could see that and this you can see that and that like the ending of book two is almost verbatim empire strikes back like yeah almost like beat for beat <laughs> 
but it does it well. So it doesn't matter. It's like you care about the characters and the story. So it's it's like that's what makes you care. Not that every single thing has to be original necessarily. Um, and there's a thing that I've always liked to say. There's like kind of a comparison phrase that I always like to do. Um, it's like, I always say that book one is, you know, it's episodic. It's the first season. It's like a regular show for kids or a family friendly show, um, that happens to have really awesome kick-ass, uh, action and philosophy in it. Book two is kind of like Game of Thrones Jr. Uh, yeah. And I was going to say, like, do you agree with that sentiment? <laughs> because. Totally. Like, and not, you know, obviously, I mean, like, you know. It is first... a game for a throne. There's literally a throne at stake. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, I mean, like, the first, like, four or five seasons of Game of Thrones. Like, we're not going to really talk about the game. Um, but. <laughs> um, and so. It's like, it's, you would never guess. By watching, you know, something, an episode like Bato of the Water Tribe, you would never guess that this show would really have this much political intrigue and scheming mm-hmm. and, like, right. long payoffs. And, like, you know, the story is so well written that, like, again... It's like it does things that you don't even it, you don't even realize what it's doing until it just does it already, and you're like, oh, that was brilliant. Like you don't need quote unquote the episode Appa's Lost Days, or you say that you say, well, we don't really need it, but it's nice to have it. But also, you get Guru Patik in that episode. You get. Azula and company facing off with the Kyoshi Warriors in that episode. You get so much stuff. You get to feel for Appa, damn it. Yeah, like, you You know, know, people always forget that he's a damn important character. Yeah, him and Momo, like, genuinely do get, like, actual focus and not in a cutesy, fun way. Like, no, they treat them like genuine characters. These are actual friends, that get separated and reunited, just like Aang with Appa. And it treats, you know, because one thing that always bugs me when I see this specific part of the re- of the series get reacted to on YouTube is a lot of people kind of go like, well, Appa's his pet. You know, Appa's his pet. And, you know, I, I would hate it too if I lost my pet. And I'm like... No, but it's more than that. And the show really does treat it yeah. like it is more than that for so many reasons. For so many reasons. You know, Op is his best friend. He's the one constant. They said from the jump that this is your partner for life. Uh, yeah. On top of that, you know, every av- avatar has a spirit guide. So it's like you factor in that part of it as well. You factor in the part that Aang, Appa, and Momo at this point are the only things left of the uh, airbenders. It's like, it's so much. Right. And, you know, I feel like a lot of shows would have like, oh, this central character gets taken away for a little bit of the season. And it would feel so much like 
you would always have that thought in the back of your head of like, but like, they're going to come back. Of course they're going to come back. They always come back. Gandalf came back, man. We saw him drop like 10,000 feet in what was essentially an underground cavern to all the way, not yet metaphorically straight to hell. And he came back like this. The characters. Obviously now, TJ, gonna... don't don't forget the most important character to ever come back. Oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to. Because whenever people compare Gandalf, I'm like, yeah, Gandalf is a Jesus <laughs> metaphor, or whatever. Um. Oh my god! But like, you know, in any other show, I think you would always have that thought. You would always have that thought of like, yeah, but they're gonna come back. Like, you're not gonna actually convince me that 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 this character is gonna go away. Just like you would never think in like some random episode in the middle of the season they're gonna kill off like the second or third lead character. Like, no. But in Avatar, it's almost like that part doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not Appa's going to come back. The What matters is that he's gone. That's the part that matters. Right. And, and I it think, makes life incredibly difficult for them. Right. And that I, that's what the show nails. It's like, it takes things that have been done before, but it just does them in just the right way where it's like, yeah, this is the way it should be done. Well, I think that one of their biggest strengths as a as what is quote unquote a children's show is that they don't beat around the bush. Like I think if this was done live action on uh on CBS primetime, Jet's brainwashing would have been 16 episodes. Like <laughs> because in adult shows they just stretch that shit out where it's like you know very quickly what happens to him and then the next time we see him, Sokka goes, "Oh, the reason that, that everything's weird is because something happened to him. And so we're going to figure that out. And then they go do it. Like, it's that's the thing that kind of works for it in a way where it's like, if you can get over some of the very, like, my character is telling the story, then then if you can get over that, then yes, everything goes exactly as it needs to and the exact pace that it needs to because we don't have to pretend that these characters are in the dark about certain things. Exactly, exactly. And I, I that really made me think about something I ne- I think I knew subconsciously, but I've never had the actual thought of. And that's that I love that the show allows the characters to be smart. Right. It allows the characters to... You could have made Sokka the idiot that they portrayed him as in the Ember Island players. But no, Sokka is incredibly smart, even if he is the funny guy. Right. And, like, I think they genuinely, if not every time, most of the time, they get out or they win or they do whatever they need to do because, no, they just, they won. Like, they earned it. Like, they outsmarted somebody mm-hmm. or they outplayed somebody or, you know, they just did the right thing at the right time and they succeeded. And even if they fail, it's extremely character-driven. You know, right? They because they lose a lot. They do, but it never feels like they lose it. pretty consistently. Like I've never had the thought of like, geez, when was the last time these guys won anything? Like, right? But they do lose a lot. They run away from a lot of fights. <laughs> um, and that's genuinely a thought that I've had in Legend of Korra of like, do these people win ev- anything? <laughs> uh. And I literally, in that moment, was just like, I've never had that thought with Avatar, though. Because 
again, it's just like these characters feel like they earn everything, even the failures. Which brings me, of course, obviously, to the big elephant in the room when it comes to book two, that ending of The Crossroads of Destiny, where I've seen so many reactors. I've seen so many people watch this for the first time, and they're so pissed. They're so disappointed. They start immediately when the episode ends. They're just like, man, fuck Zuko. And I'm just like, guys. <laughs> I mean, I also say fuck Zuko, but but then in book three, it it makes it work. It's It, it really is a case where it's like, it, it almost feels so much better in book three because you gave Zuko, quote unquote, everything he wanted and it was wrong. Right. And I firmly That's what kind of makes it better. I think and I think this is where it there is a there is a genuine difference cuz I think uh spoiler alert cuz I know uh No, did we cover that? Yeah, we did cover this uh already uh by the time because we record these out of order. Sorry. Um but we in our critic in our critics analysis of like why people don't trust critics. Uh I think I brought up that like, you know, um even if briefly, I brought up that like critics what do watch things differently, but I think it's only because they know certain things to watch out for and certain things do kind of like they just hit different to them. Um, and I think the same goes for like if you've studied storytelling and if you're a writer and if you just if you're not just watching shows but you're paying attention to the structure of things and how things typically play out and you're aware of the cliches and the tropes and all that stuff certain things are just kind of different to you you just kind of like absorb them differently and that's this is probably one of the biggest times Zuko's like decision here it's one of the biggest times where I felt that, where I felt like as somebody who does pay attention to story and, you know, does pay attention to writing and really looks for that stuff, I found myself asking a question, a rhetorical question that I knew, already knew the answer to, which is like, every time I see people freak out about Zuko's decision, I'm like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> I'm like, he's also 16. He is also 16. But and not even that, but like, I'm like, guys, if Zuko teams up with Avatar right now, where's the where's the show going? Like, come on. <laughs> but I you I I kind of gotta remember that like not everyone thinks that way. Cause a lot of people leading up to this episode are like, all right, Zuko, Zuko's gotta join Team Avatar right now. And I'm like, no. If I were writing this, I would not do that. That's a terrible decision. And Game of Thrones is, like, almost the exact same way of, like, you know, yeah, you could get these two characters back together and reunited now, but wouldn't it be way better if, like, four seasons from now they got back together? <laughs> well, uh, to me, it's not even necessarily that. I think it's a case of... I think it's a case of... What what do you gain by giving the character what they need right now versus what they want? Because there's exactly I think that there is something super sweet about narratives where the character gets what they want and it's not what they need. Exactly. Which is and exactly what happens with Zuko. 
And it's like, you know, the more I think about it, and yeah, I have the benefit of hindsight, and I'll never be able to experience this show blindly ever again. But when you really look at it, unbiased, when you take all emotion out of it, when you really look at it, this was a doomed decision from the beginning. This is an ine- this was an inevitability from Jump, because this is basically something that Zuko absolutely needed to do and it's not a mistake like it drives me crazy when people say like man Zuko made the wrong decision no Zuko made the right decision because it's what he needed to do personally because all of book one he's doing what his father wants him to do or what he believes his father wants him to do all of book two he's struggling with what his uncle wants him to do At some point, though, Zuko needs to do what he wants to do. And, yeah, it ends in, like, terrible consequences. But for that character, that needed to happen. Because as long as Zuko is just blindly following Ozai or blindly following Iroh, the character's not going to grow. The only way the character grows is if he does make a decision for himself for once. And even if that decision is awful it's still important it's like it's like the thing where the hero needs to fail once you know Mm -hmm. the hero can't just get everything right on the first try sometimes and Zuko is very much a character that learns the most through failure Zuko gets his ass beat in this show so many times but I genuinely think it makes him a better fighter every time He's almost like a Saiyan. Totally, because he's not a very good one. Right. I mean, well, he doesn't start off as, like, Azula. Like, Azula's like a whole right. other category. But, like, I think Zuko's whole trajectory is foreshadowed in the fight with Zhao. The, like, one of the first, like, big fights in the show. And Zuko's really, like, first big character fight says so much about the character and where he's going to go. Because when Zuko just tries to fight with brute strength, when Zuko just tries to outpower his opponent because he feels that's the way he has to win, he starts losing because that's not that's not how Zuko's going to win. The second Zuko starts fighting his way, though, the second he does that fucking breakdance move and trips Zhao, immediately the fight changes. Because right. Zuko's not... Ozai. Zuko's not Azula. He has to do things his own way. That's the only way he wins. And then, spoiler alert, jumping forward, what's the one thing that Zuko does to finally get the upper hand on Azula? A fucking breakdance move. This shit is not on accident. (laughs) Well, also, and you see the parallels between Azula and Ozai's fighting style with the way they travel through the, like, the battlefield. The way that they, like, rocket themselves all over the place and shoot lightning and and just, like, completely try to overpower their opponents. It's like, yeah, but Zuko does it. Zuko does it in a way that it's like, I'm gonna... I mean, it's just like how Iroh invented the lightning redirect through learning waterbending. It's like Zuko Zuko learned how to be a better fighter by getting his ass kicked and learning how a different way to use firebending beyond just what they got taught at the sun... uh, At the... At the... Whatchamacallit? At the sun temple. Right. 
And also, and also, I will say this about about since this is kind of the biggest, the, one of the biggest topics of the entire show, um, is that like nothing ever feels like a retcon in book three when it comes to Zuko's decision, mm-hmm. because you see thing, you see so many instances like you get you get eight episodes in and you're like why hasn't he joined them at this point yet but then you kind of put the pieces together later where it's like no they could never could have succeeded if zuko wasn't at that meeting where ozai was planning on destroying the earth kingdom like you they don't succeed unless they have that knowledge and also episodes like the beach where you realize where it's like hi azula and zuko actually have a really deep and complicated relationship and as do him with all the other fire nation characters so like it's it's so much more than just than just oh we decided to make this decision because it was shocking it's like no this is exactly what he would have done because he 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 only knows the avatar gang peripherally and then he has iroh he doesn't he doesn't have that friendship all he has are these other shitty friends yeah and it's like you know there's just there's honestly just a difference between somebody telling you you need to do this because it's the right thing to do. And you taking the long way around and realizing that for yourself. Right. And I mean, honestly, that kind of just organically brings us to see, to book three. We might as well just start talking about book three then. <laughs> yeah. I would say book three is, is not my favorite just, just because it's just because it's not, it doesn't have that same kind of tension build that book two does um, just because we, we, we know that Aang's going to win. We don't know if he's going to live, but we know Aang's going to win. Like it's, it's a Nickelodeon show. That's what's going to happen. Um, and so we take a lot of, it, it definitely feels like a lot of final posters being tacked up where it's like, okay, cool. We are going to finish Katara's arc with her mom. It, it's, it's the, it's the thematic thing they talk about where it's like, oh, everyone gets to go on a uh, life changing journey with Zuko. <laughs> it's like Aang learns firebending. Check. Uh, so- uh, Sokka gets his dad and and Suki back. Check. Katara gets to do stuff with her mom. Check. And then Toph goes, "I want to have one with Zuko," and she doesn't. But it's it's very much that kind of thing, or where it's like everybody kind of gets to tack their 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 final character developments up on the wall and then solve the problem, um, which is satisfying. It's just to me, it's just not as it's not my favorite because of that. Um, and also it definitely has a very interesting structure to, and I'm saying this is a compliment of having the invasion halfway through and then having the invasion. I mean, you know, it has to fail because it's halfway through, but just so interesting how everything really was going so right for them. And then one little tick to the left and suddenly the, the tides have changed once again. And so I, I just, I find book three super interesting in all the choices that were made. Um, and it gets to be a little bit more episodic like the first one, but for bet for different reasons. Yeah. And it's like, it's just such, again, it's like, it's such a, this is going to be so trite, uh, to anyone who's even kind of remotely looked into film because they've probably heard this a million times, but some things are repeated for a reason. Uh, and I may have said this on the podcast. I can't remember, but, um, it's like what uh, Alfred Hitchcock said about suspense. Yeah. If, I feel like I have said this, but we might as well say it again. Um, if you put a bunch of people in a room and then the, ro- the room explodes, it's shocking, but you get over it in like a couple minutes. If you 
show a bomb being placed under the table and you set the timer for five minutes and then you put those people in the room, the whole scene changes. And like, that's exactly what the invasion was for people who remembered like, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to invade. We're going to invade. Oh shit. Doesn't Azula know about the invasion? (laughs) Right. And it's just like, oh God, waiting for that other shoe to drop. (laughs) And just, 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 just the, like, for some people, they genuinely forget and it's genuinely surprising. And then they remember like, oh, that's right. She did know. And some people like know the entire way of like, shit, I don't know what's going to happen. And both camps are like equally just like enthralled by this because it really was like, I mean, Team Avatar was looking pretty good. Like if Azula hadn't known, who knows what would have happened? Honestly, like I don't think they would have won, but who knows what that fight would have looked like. Honestly, it yeah. would have been just mayhem. It would have been the Battle of the Bastards. It would have been crazy. <laughs> but, but yeah, if that's all we have specifically for book three, and I think you've already answered uh, one question that was very obvious uh, in that book two is your favorite uh, book. Yeah. And I think we can assume book one is your least favorite book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um, fall pretty in line with the general fandom. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of, you know, book two and book three are really, I say this so much that it's become nauseating for me to hear when I'm editing. But book two and three are really are apples and oranges. They're just different. Totally. Things they needed to be like book two is a lot more consistent and it's a steady amount of pressure and it gets builds it builds and builds and builds and builds until a final release and book three is like a roller coaster ride of like it just gives you a lot of different it gives you a lot of interesting things uh like you said and i very much agree with that because when you think about it you got the premiere episode that establishes everything and then you get an Aang episode, a Katara episode, a Sokka episode, a Toph episode, and then, like, the fun filler episode, and then the climax. And then after that, you get, or not the climax, but, like, the war, the two-part war. But then after that, you get the establishing episode, the Aang episode, the Sokka episode, the Katara episode, and then the fun filler episode before the big war episode. So it's like, you know, there's there's definitely a pattern and there's a structure going on. And for some people, they like that. And for some people, it very accurately and very validly can feel like, well, this is kind of stalling. That's really all it is. Like, very important things happen, like Sokka's master and, you know, uh, basically anything with Zuko uh, once he joins Team Avatar. But also, at the end of the day, it it is stalling. Let's call call it what it is. It is, like, kind of padding out the time until we can deliver this big, awesome stuff. But again, it's, like I said earlier, Avatar just 
aside from the Great Divide, like, even their filler episodes, it's like they always give you something. They always, like, they, pro- right. they progress character or... Like, book two sets the stakes, but book three gets everyone ready. Like, there's no one... It, like, you have the first iteration of, oh, we're going to get ready for this, and then it fails. And then you have the second arc of, now we're really going to get ready, and then they win. I think it also, yeah, it it's also the probably the difference between thinking you're ready versus knowing you're ready. Like, right. I think there was a lot of buildup to the Day of Black Sun, whereas Sozin's Comet doesn't really have a lot of buildup for the characters. Like, they just are like, all right, let's go. We got to do this. Uh, I think the most buildup they actually realistically have in in a similar way to, you know, the first time around, they had an entire episode about, like, you know, the the jitters before you got got to the big day and Sokka second-guessing himself because of his speech and you had all this stuff. I think the closest that it gets the second time around is that look that they give each other right before they take off. Zuko and Katara on Appa, and then Sokka and Suki and Toph on the eel hound, and they just look at each other and nod. And, like, that's all you need. That's honestly one of my favorite moments in the entire show, because you feel it. Because you feel the journey. You feel how long it's been, how much it's been for every single one of these characters in different ways and how far they've come. Just that right. l- little acknowledgement. And to think that it the nod is from Zuko to Sokka. Literally the first fight in the series is Zuko and Sokka. Yeah. That's that's like that's pretty awesome. <laughs> But yeah, so now that only leaves us with the big questions. And I'm either going to be really awesome and give myself uh, echo and reverb and all that in post, or I'm just going to let that be what it was. So, uh, (laughs) depends on how I'm feeling that day. (laughs) Uh, So... We're going to get the big, obvious questions out of the way. I'm also going to allow you to ask me anything for clarification that uh, you had throughout the series. And then we're going to get, obviously, to, like, the more specific, like, fandom-centered questions. So, favorite character? Oof. Uh, hard tie between Sokka and Toph. Interesting. And the thing is that, like, Sokka didn't start off as my favorite character, and he ends up my favorite character. Yeah. Probably because he starts off being treated the way that most shows would make him just the dumb side guy, but then they actually put a lot of effort into making him exactly who he needs to be. Mm-hmm. I think his arc is very underrated. He's a great totally. arc. Um, and Toph is Toph. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, needs no. Top is the character who who is wide mouthed when, or like, just gaping uh, in excitement when her when her likeness is being played by a by essentially the Rock. Um, it's like she's like, I wouldn't have done it any other way. It's amazing. Which also uh, reminds me. So, I think it's pretty obvious. You know what they were doing with the boulder, right? Yes. Okay. What's less obvious is that the guy that voices the boulder is Mick Foley who is a wrestler 
who had an infamous rivalry with The Rock and was in a famous tag team with The Rock. And they're actually like good friends off off screen. <laughs> so, That's funny. I didn't know that. So it's literally like the only better casting decision they possibly could have had for the boulder was to just get Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's so great because, like, once you know, it's just like, hey, uh, can we pay you to mock your friend? <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, do you have any least favorite characters? Ooh, that's tough. Um, nobody that, you know, means anything. There's nobody that I was, like, that was on screen enough where I I genuinely was like, oh my god, can we just skip past this person? Because even the, even like even like assholes like Paku eventually like kind of come around. Um, and I think the first time when I was a kid when I watched it, I didn't like Boomy, but now I love Boomy. Mm. Um, and even then, Jet, when you first meet him, I'm just like, oh fuck this guy. Um, but then he has kind of that tragic end. It's really just like a you know, there's nobody that I dislike simply for the fact of their existing in the show. Um, honestly, I think I think my least favorite character is Avatar Roku. Because <laughs> he's just no fucking help. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, um, do you have a favorite episode? Uh I don't know. It's I, really I, I, hard. I would have to really think about it. It's really hard to kind of like nail down a single episode. Yeah. I think it might be the Lake Lao Guy episode. To be fair, that is a pretty awesome episode. Yeah. I think that might be my favorite episode. Um. Oh, no. Sorry. I take it back. My least favorite character is uh, Head Explosion Guy. Oh, yeah. I fucking hate him. Yeah. Honestly... If I were to... If, He's not a character. He's an explosion. <laughs> um, if I were to, like, do that fabled live-action adaptation, I would just... I would just find a way to, like, skirt around that. Because it's like, you don't need it. Or, like, you know, have the foresight, if you know you're going to adapt it, to introduce a character earlier who can take that spot. Right. Like, you know, if you had... um. Let's say, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. A super powerful group of non-benders who managed to take down the Avatar in, a, like, a couple minutes um, in the first season, and then they were just never used again. Uh, I think something like that might be more useful, maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just... Wait, who are you referring to? <laughs> <laughs> the Yuyan archers in the Blue Spirit episode that are, like... Oh, yeah. An entire group of Legolas's, Hawkeyes, and Katniss Everdeens that just... Yeah, it's true. We don't see them again. Yeah, they, like, literally never come back again? <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, what the hell is this? Wait, no, let me replace uh, Katniss Everdeen with uh, Merida. Uh, that makes me feel a lot better. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we can agree the least favorite episode is The Great Divide. Yeah. Yeah. Um favorite aspect of the show. Uh oh, I'm glad you asked me this. Um that no fight is the same. Yes. 
I like no that. fight is no fight is the same. Uh, the bending is super creative every single time. You see some recurring like instances, like the octopus style and the armor style, um, and like creating like tents and like shelter and things like that. Like you see them consistently, or you see lightning, but but they're always used in interesting ways to counteract one another. It's like it's never it's never just rock paper scissors with this show. Um, it's like you may you may have seen something before, but you've never seen it used to counter it in that way. And the quick thinking involved is fantastic to me. Um, I think you and I had a joking conversation about uh, about uh, it was either Star Wars or something like that, where it's like, oh, you know, how people will poke holes and be like, well, how do they know how to do that? That's never explained. And you kind of just get over it with the show. It's like, a, <laughs> yeah, they can do it. If you can think it, they can do it. It's it's both. It's it, it you know, it kind of walks that line between hard magic and soft magic. Um in that, and for anybody who doesn't know those terms, like hard magic is like Harry Potter, where it's like, you must follow XYZ rules to get this effect. Right. And there are limitations and consequences to the magic. And soft magic is like the force, or at least it used to be, where it's like, you know, it exists. It's pretty limitless. It's about how you harness it. And so it kind of walks that line where it's like, yeah, there are forms. They're very, it's very based in like, Eastern, you know, form-based uh, martial arts, but also in like, and also in like chi and chakras, um, and everybody kind of fights in that way. You know, there's no guns um, in Avatar world because you know why would you do that? Um, there's only arrows and people who use firebending as projectiles. Like, um, so it's to me, it's it's super interesting how they both have some sort of basis for how they learn it, but also just a vast, like limitless, limitless amount of, of bending possibilities. And so like at the end of the day, my favorite part of the show is what the show is really based on, which is the idea of people can bend, bend the elements. And it's, and, and also I want to say, yes, Toph invented metal bending, but you know who really invented metal bending was every kid who saw the first episode and started playing in the outside and went, and played with their friends until they got to a story point where they're like, we can't bend the metal. And this person's like, I'm the earthbender and I can do it. Um, so <laughs> Toft didn't invent it. All of us kids did. Uh, do you have a least favorite aspect of the show? I get really caught caught when it comes to the romance. Mostly just because of, the, just because of how old I am watching it. Mm-hmm. Like the the romance is very serious for the age of the characters. It's not very serious for the it's it like it's not very serious when you consider this what they're going through. Like the the circumstances they're going through, it makes sense that they can have intense loyalty and love for one another. But when you look at like the age of the characters, it's like, okay, in peacetime, do you actually stay together? So is it the age or the actual romance arc? I think it's, I mean, I think it's the combination of it. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't enjoy the show less if the characters were, 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 you know, I would not enjoy the show more if the characters were a different age. I think it's just the notion of, like, this is a 12-year-old definitely behaving closer to a 17-year-old um, in the way that they have, like, yes, those feelings exist at that age, but, like, in the way that, like, the physical romance exists. Although I will also say one thing. Um, if we're going to go down that route and Aang is not sleeping, somebody just, somebody just fucking cuddle the guy. Like, it's really not that hard. If Aang is not sleeping and having nightmares, just all of you sleep in a pile on top of one another so he feels safe. <laughs> it's not that hard. I had to kind of like... That frustrated me so much. I, I like... It took me a second to like follow where you... I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> 
Yes, there's an entire episode where Aang will not sleep because of nightmares, and no one will physically help him. And so I'm just like, everyone, get on, get on Appa, take the saddle off, get on Appa, and sleep next to each other. That's how you solve that shit. That's kind of how you can tell this is a filler episode. When you can solve it in, like, a sentence or two, that's probably a filler right. episode. <laughs> I mean, albeit a well-done filler episode that has a very important element to book three in Zuko's uh, B-plot, but, like, still, you know, still. Do you have any advice to new watchers? Don't get hung up on the dialogue and uh, and get to get to the North Pole. I feel like that's a that's, good... That's really it. That's a good rule for a lot of season one. Season ones of any show is, like... The, the dialogue might not be there yet, and just try to get to the finale because it's kind of hard to screw up the finale of, like, the first season just because te- te- typically they do, the mo- they do the biggest stuff in the finale. So it's like they really got to screw up <laughs> to screw up the most exciting thing. In, in the entire season. Um, so now here are the uh, sort of fandom-specific, show-specific questions that uh, I feel like a lot of people who are already fans may just want me to ask you in general. Um, All right. Well, we're kind of on... we. One of the last things we talked about was the romance. So thoughts on Zutara versus Katang. Uh, Zutara makes more sense outside the narrative. But outside, but again, like outside the narrative is kind of a really Zutara. I think, I think, I think if they're, you know, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe this. I think that it's, it's almost a case to me of, of similarities attract and opposites attract. Um, and neither is better or worse. Right, because I think that, because in, in a certain way, I think that, and they're both kind of both. Like, the thing that's different between Aang and Katara is, like, a maturity level and a bur- and, and different kinds of burdens. Um, like, Katara has to be a lot of things to a lot of people. Aang has to be one thing to everyone. Um, Katara has to both be the incredible badass waterbender warrior... Uh, brilliant tactician, but also kind of has to be the nurturer, has to be the mom, um, and that is a lot to ask. Ask any ask any mother up from the nineteen eighties onward, um, to be both of those things, and so she has to be all those things. Whereas Ang has one responsibility; he kind of gets to be the guy about it. He kind of gets to be like, a, I have the job, I have the big job, and I have the big job. I'm going to worry about the big job. Um, and so they're different in that way, but th- they're the same in that they're both such good-hearted and kind people. Whereas Zuko has a hard time becoming, you know, a kind, a kind, or not necessarily has a hard time becoming a kind person, but has a hard time making the right choice and the good choice because of the circumstances he grew up in. But he also has a deep amount of pain that is very present. The thing about Aang is that his pain is there, but his pain isn't, his pain isn't necessarily as present. Um... You know, he lost everyone he knew, but also it's not, but they're also, it's not like, you know, he missed a hundred years. That's, that's what he has to deal with. Not the, not the immediacy of seeing people die and seeing people lost. 
Um, whereas Katara has lost, you know, her mom for a while. They thought they lost their dad. She is, you know, had her heart broken in so many different ways and had to struggle in so many things just because of being a woman and everything like that and having those responsibilities. And I think Zuko also understands that kind of responsibility that's put upon you by others and the loss of your mom. Um, and so, you know, it, it really just kind of comes down to Zuko and Katara actually challenge each other um, to, to see things in a different perspective. Um, and so I get it. I totally get it. I also just think that there's, there's a degree of just what I know about young people and, and how kind of relationships pan out. It's like, there's something about Zuko that's a little bit steadier than Aang, um, a little bit more, uh, while not sure of himself, a little bit more responsible in, in the day to day. Um, you don't have to worry about him going off and doing something silly. He's, you know, he's a little bit sturdier in that way in in a way that I think someone like Katara could benefit from. Um, but on the flip side, you know, Aang balances Katara by being the fun one and being the one who can put aside the rigidity of responsibility to kind of open up that world for her. And so, you know, it's a, it's a incredibly complex argument to art to talk about in that way. And I think that's why this is like one of those big, why this choice over this choice kind of thing. For me personally, Zutara has always been icky. Like, really? All right. It's not nearly as bad, but it's got the same vibe as Raylo for me, and I'm just like, <laughs> just, I don't, I don't see it as Raylo because because I, I, I don't see Zuko as as because because Kylo Ren is a is a gaslighty abusive boyfriend and but to be uh, fair when you Zuko's look at not. season if you look at book one Zuko he's not like he's actually really nasty to Katara <laughs> yeah almost specifically <laughs> um he's nasty to everybody but there's plenty of other characters in pop culture who are nasty to everybody in the on star on the onset and then they find out that that person just needed to get past that point Right. So I just, there's just this, there's, for me, Zutara is like a two-part thing. It's like, the first part is the obvious thing of like, well, like, Zuko kind of did a lot of shitty things to Katara and called her a lot of shitty things, and um, and it's just, it's just kind of hard to, like, distance that. Um, But the other thing is also just, even if you do get past that, I think they're, you hear this a lot, but I think they're better as friends than as a couple, like, cause, yeah. uh-huh. cause you know, not, not every male female relationship has to be romantic. Whereas like sometimes a relationship kind of gets a little bit better when you add that dimension to it. And I think that's literally Zutara and Katang for me, which is just... You know, Zuko and Katara have a lot of very key things in common that I think help them relate to each other, but I don't necessarily make that jump to, that means I got a bang. Like, no, it's it's just more, it's more so like they share things that are unique to each other. So that just has that, they have that bond. Whereas Katara yeah. and Aang, it's more of like, you know, 
it was a friendship that turned into like a very maternal relationship that turned into more of a sibling relationship that morphed into more of like, I genuinely love you. And it's like, you see that organic kind of rise in intensity. And oddly enough, I think when Appa's gone is the moment for me where it's like, you really kind of start to see like, no, this could actually really work romantically because there's just, there's just so much layers to the relationship in that entire arc where Katara knows when Aang needs to be, needs to have someone to talk to. She sees through his facade of like, you know, no, I just, you know, I overreacted. Now I'm never going to do that again. She's like, no, you need, this is something you need to deal with. She's always like there in that regard. And there's something about Aang almost throughout the series that it's so, he's so consistent in his morality and his values and the things that he embodies. And really you get that, a lot in the Southern Raiders episode where Katara goes on her murder spree, where you actually really, it comes to the forefront that like, no, Aang is a good moral compass. Like he may not be the most mature, but whenever it comes to like morality, whenever it comes to like, you know, we have to do the right thing. Aang is probably the most consistent out of most of them. Like, I know Bato the Water Tribe is shitty, and it was just, I just, bleh. Let's just put that to the side, because a lot of us want to put that to the side. But I think there's something there in the sense that, like, these two work really well together. A lot of the fights, uh, a lot of the big fights, when there's a bunch of them, you see Aang and Katara work really well, like, side by side. Like, in the Serpent's Pass episode, in the Crossroads of Destiny, there's so many times where it's just like, no, they're just good compliments to each other in so many good regards. Um, So many good regards. So many good ways. Um, But, yeah. So, so, I mean, the, the whole thing isn't... I agree with you. It's like, it's deceptively deep and complex of a topic. Which is why I think we both yeah. kind of went on little rants about it. <laughs> um, so we're gonna try and really quickly uh, best slash most powerful bender. It, I mean, it's Ang. It's you know, couldn't couldn't get around the series without it being Ang. That's a fair, but I think controversial answer. Uh, I think Ang. I think it's. I think it's really as simple as when Katara starts teaching very small water bending things. Ang. Aang was a master airbender by the age of 12. Yeah. Like, and before he was even picked to be the Avatar, he was a master airbender. It's not like he was the Avatar and then they trained him in more in airbending. He was already a master. And he is just that skilled in how he can direct all those things. He had one lesson with uh, uh, Guru, uh, Guru Pati and understood chakras. Like, Aang has this incredibly interesting spiritual and body connection that the others, the others are very good at one thing, uh, get very good at one piece of bending because of 
who how they channel it. Toph is very good at earthbending because Toph, just as a person, is going to face things head on exactly how she taught it. Um, and because she's blind, and that's an incredible advantage um, to not have that distraction. Um, Katara is great at waterbending because it's it's all about redirection um, and, and, de- and a defense in a way. And Zuko becomes good at firebending because he finds the difference between the dichotomy between rage and, um, and energy. And, but Aang can do all of it. He has to learn to do all of it, but Aang can do all of it. That's a good answer. It's fa- very fair. Because I mean, I think the second, the second, the second to that is tough. Okay. Uh, best non-bender. Uh, it's hard. I know, um, right? It's a, it's a really deceptively hard question. Uh, as much as I love Sokka, I think Suki's just, again, Suki's uh, just consistently better. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's pretty. She's pretty. Suki, Suki can still kick Sokka's ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No doubt. No, uh, Sokka can learn to be the... Sokka will go on to be one of the greatest sword, sword masters in the world, and Suki's still better than him. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's on. It's almost not even up for debate. Um, well, but hold on. Wait, no, hold on. I actually got to take that back. It's Tylee. True. That's a good point. Tylee's, Tylee is actually the best non-bender, because <laughs> Tylee, Tylee body bends. <laughs> not only does she bend <laughs> her own body, but she bends other bodies. <laughs> Tylee's a human bender. <laughs> um, what do you think happened if you don't already like actually factually know uh, with Zuko's mom? I don't factually know. Um, so uh, I imagine she also spoke out of turn um, and Ozai probably like tortured the fuck out of her and then sent her to an island and, and used her as leverage. Interesting. I don't think I don't think she ever meant anything to Ozai. That more than uh more than you know giving her children giving him children. That is a, who also happened to be who also happened to be uh you know of the lineage of Roku. So see, I don't think that second part. I don't think that last part is an accident at all. I think Ozai act- actively pursued her for that and nothing else. Yeah, it's like ah, these genes will make my children great. Mm-hmm. And last question, do you think it's possible or necessary even to have a live action avatar? Uh possible, yes, necessary, no. And I doubt it will I doubt it will go forward. I think that the backlash of the creators leaving it for whatever reason they left it um will cause Netflix to cancel the project. It is not worth the strife after after the live action movie failed so badly. I don't think I think that they know better. Um, to not go forward without them. Okay. So we are probably wildly over time. I can, I I can edit, but (laughs) I can, you're going to have to, I can edit, but at the same time, I'm also not a miracle worker. Some of those questions. Um, (laughs) So yes, a very lengthy at, I mean, we could probably have predicted this was going to be, one of the longer episodes. And honestly, we could have gone on. We didn't even talk about Toph or Aang uh, or Sokka, like, really deep into their arcs and everything like that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, we, we could have gone for another half hour easily. Uh, and I have an idea that I may do at some point in the future that might lead us to talking about those characters a little bit more in depth. But I will save that for later. For now, though, uh, if you... 
want to reach us and talk to us and chat about your opinions on Avatar and or ask us about our uh, more specific opinions on Avatar, you can reach us, of course, at at Red Team Pod on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Instagram. And uh, yeah, as always, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. And we'll catch you guys next time.